Welcome to Your Personal Power Pod, a podcast about aligning yourself with the life you want. And here are your hosts, Sandy Abel and Shannon Young. Hey, Shannon, how are you today? Hey, Sandy, it's so good to hear from you. What's going on? Oh, everything is great. The sun is out. It's a beautiful day and life is wonderful. I love that. You have such a good attitude. <laughs> well, you know, there's always good and you can find it and focus on it and your life will be wonderful. Unfortunately, there's always bad, but if you focus on that, your life will not be so happy. So <laughs> I like to focus on the good. It's called balance, <laughs> yin yang. Yes, that's it. <laughs> Although I like the I like the positive one, whichever that is, yin or yang, I don't know. True. <laughs> anyway, today we are on episode four and talking about really fun stuff. I'm excited for today's episode. This just tickles me for some reason. Yeah. Well, and me too. It's important. I realized I say the word important a lot, but <laughs> all of these things are important. So, and what we're going to talk about is we're starting with your self-talk. Which, you know, some people swear up, down, and backwards. They don't have that. I know. And I'm sure if our listeners are hearing this right now, their little voice in their head is saying, what? I don't do that. Well, that's your self-talk right there. That little voice in your head. And what it does is it narrates your life. It tells you, well, look, the sun is out and it's beautiful. Or it's snowing in July. That's really weird. Or I really like that person. Or I don't like that person. It just is an observational thing that runs all the time in your brain. It's kind of like the background processor on your computer. Yeah. It just runs yeah. behind the scenes all the time. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And a lot of times, if we're not aware of it, it will define what we decide to do and what we feel and can make a big difference in our life unless we're aware of our self-talk. So tell me how the self-talk is related to our inner child. That's a thing that it's kind of a buzz phrase that's thrown around. And I, I know there are people out there who think, I don't have an inner child. I'm an adult. Thank you very much. But they're they're related. <laughs> oh, very much so. Well, first of all, I, I want to look a little more at the self-talk uh, because we need to know where it comes from. And it comes from ever since basically you were born, you have been interpreting what's going on in your life. You listen to the people around you, you make observations, and you create your attitudes and observations about what's going on. And that's your self-talk. And then your inner child is the little person you used to be. And like my inner child is probably about between three and four. How old is your inner child, Shan? You know, I was trying to figure that out before we started talking today because I knew you were going to ask me that question. And I haven't. <laughs> yeah, I'm having a really hard time pinning down an age. Yeah. Why do you why do you say you think yours is between three and five? Well, because that was when I started becoming really aware of the messages 
that my parents gave me and that my culture gave me and that the people around me, I noticed how they acted and what they were saying and how they functioned and started interpreting things and applying it to myself. I think your inner child is about applying all these things to you. Can you give us an example of how one of those messages from when you were three to five, which if I think if I'm correct, that's when your little sister was born, right? When you were between three and five? <laughs> There's that. Yes, yes. <laughs> so you started well, actually, losing attention. <laughs> I was too. And I started losing attention, obviously, when you have an infant the two-year-old who's running around doesn't need as much picking up and holding and carrying and all that as the infant does. Right. It, it was fine. My parents did exactly what they were supposed to, but I interpreted it to mean that I was not as lovable and valuable as she was. And they never said that, but they paid more attention to her because she was an infant. And so she got the attention and I didn't. And I internalized that and thought it meant that I wasn't valuable. Mm -hmm. And then as I grew, she was fun and cute and everybody loved her and she liked to sleep. How many babies like to sleep? I like to scream. So anyway, <laughs> she got a lot of good attention for that. <laughs> and so my inner child continued to feel inadequate. And the more that happened, the more worried about who I was and if I was any good happened along. So my inner child was very insecure. Yeah. What about you? Tell us what that was. Well, I was trying to think about it and it's hard for me to pinpoint like what messages come from her. It's more, I can see the way I want to react to things maybe coming more from her. And one of the values that I noticed that I didn't really realize was a message that came from my early childhood is the the notion that you take care of your stuff. You don't treat your stuff poorly. Yeah. You don't leave it on the ground. You know, you take care of it. And I didn't really realize that that was just me until I got married and my husband and his daughter moved in with me. And I mean, she was just a kid. It's not like she was horrible and running around destroying things. She was just a kid who didn't understand that there are repercussions to not treating things well. When you're little, you don't understand that you can hurt a house, you know, that you can hurt a vehicle. And <laughs> and I started reacting. I would get all tied up in knots and finally realized that my value, that you take care of your stuff, was being violated and it was making me react like a, a young person. Like I got really angry because my value was being violated. And when I finally mm -hmm. figured out, this is a message that comes yeah. from when I was really little. But I know that when I was really little, I wasn't taking care of stuff either. You know, I remember that running the <laughs> vacuum cleaner into the wall thinking you can't hurt a wall. Well, you can. And it costs a lot to fix it. But I didn't know that back then. But the message got through. And so I finally realized that yeah. I'm reacting inappropriately. Like there is entirely too much would. anger going on here. Right. So that's that's the one that really stands out. Yeah. Yeah. And your inner child 
actually runs a lot of what you do and does form your self-talk mm-hmm. on, in some areas about things that you feel are personal. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the sun's out, you're not going to take that personally. But if somebody trashes your wall, your inner child is going to get upset because it violates what she believes things are supposed to be like. Mm-hmm. And for example, my inner child, when I was young, I was, how do I say this? (laughs) I was, I was bullied. I was not popular. And she learned that people are not safe and it's just better to be quiet and sit down Mm. and don't draw attention to yourself. And then as I got older, I became an adult and realized that people are safe if I choose the right people. Right. And even if they're not nice to me, maybe it's not my fault or my problem. Maybe it's theirs. So it's not that I'm defective, as my inner child thought. But as I became a professional and started speaking on stages to large groups, my inner child went bonkers. Mm-hmm. And I like, this is a weird image, but I picture her, she's internal. Uh, your inner child is always with you, whether you notice it or not. And she is I picture her as this little three, four-year-old sitting on a stool, kind of in my gut, watching Sandy, the adult, run her life. And when I'm just doing regular stuff, she's fine and quiet and just sits there. But when I'm going to speak and I walk out on a stage, she jumps off the stool and gets 40 feet tall and really loud and tells me, don't go in there. They're going to laugh at you. They're going to make fun of you. You're going to look stupid. All those things that she felt when she was little. And I have to figure out how to deal with that so that I can go do my job and share our message and help people feel good about who they are. Mm -hmm. So I actually have a conversation with myself before I go on stage. And I tell her, look, I'm an adult now. And these are adults out there in the audience. And so you can sit down and watch because I've learned how to handle this. You're a kid. You don't know how to handle this. But I'm an adult and I know what to do. So you just sit there and watch, and I'm going to go do my adult thing. And as I work with my inner child, it reminds me that I am a capable, competent person now, even though I wasn't when I was four. Mm-hmm. So working with your inner child is really important to learn how to do that. Do you ever do that? Yeah. And for the most part, we get along, my inner child and I. I've noticed (laughs) that I love the image that you have her on that stool 
like where you can talk to her and say, okay, rest. Yeah, I've got this and make her feel safe. And then you can move on. I've noticed that I, I don't know that we talk directly to each other, but I like to confuse her. (laughs) So like if, if, (laughs) what do you mean confuse her? How do you do that? (laughs) Well, what do you do? Say, say I'm not feeling particularly fit or attractive. I have a friend who used to say, I'm going through an ugly phase, (laughs) which I loved because it meant that she was going to come out of it at some point. If I'm not, if I'm not feeling like things are good or that I'm capable of doing whatever it is in front of me, or like I, I, I teach this class at the local college and you know, walking into a room full of students you don't know as their teacher is really scary. Nobody tells you that. Feeling like right. I, I yeah. can't do this, like you said, and I know that's my inner child, but telling her, hey, I've got this, I'm the adult doesn't always work because me, the adult, is also feeling the anxiety and the fear and all that. So what I've <laughs> yeah. I've learned a trick, which is I'll say, hey, let's play a game. What if everything today were exactly the way we want it? What if I were, what if we were rich and thin and beautiful and capable and competent (laughs) and everybody loved us and we knew what we were doing? What if all of that were true? How would we feel today? Wow, what a fun game. And she doesn't know what to say that ad except go, oh. And then that allows me to feel that way and then do whatever it is I need to do. Yeah, I like that. How fun. What a cool way to work with your inner child. I like it that. It works. I mean, I don't, it's not really specific, but yeah. if it makes her go, huh, <laughs> and then she can't persist in feeling whatever feeling she was feeling yeah, that was making right. things hard, well, you know? Exactly. Well, and this is just you with you. I mean, right, obviously right. your inner child is <laughs> a part of you. So nobody else will ever know, except now we've exposed ourselves to the world. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, now they know. But that's a beautiful way to work with your inner child. I love that. I have a dear, dear friend who yeah. is incredibly talented and has built this phenomenal life for her husband and herself and accomplishes incredible things and probably lives life more fully than most people I know. She's just a real inspiration. Cool. And we get together once every six months a year, you know, not very often, and we catch each other up. And so she's telling me about her life, but you can see playing behind everything she's saying is the tape that her family gave her, which is you don't talk about your accomplishments. And she even says it. My family taught me I'm not Uh supposed to blow my own horn, you know, and you can see there's a Mm -hmm. she's tormented by it in a way because she does feel proud of the things she's done and she should. But her family dynamic somehow was, nope, you don't you don't broadcast that stuff. And it's not like she talks about it all the time. It's just that she's sharing what she's done with me. And yeah, she has a right to feel good about it. And she knows on some level that that's the truth. She does. But that inner child says, nope, nope, nope. This isn't what you're supposed to do. 
And it's really interesting to see it yeah. at play with somebody else. And it makes me hurt for her. I'm always saying, no, yeah. you know, talk about this, brag about this. This is good. Yeah, exactly. That's a beautiful example. And that actually leads us to our next topic, which is shoulds. Oh, no. <laughs> our shoulds are our values, attitudes, and beliefs that we were taught as a child and have developed and grown with. And it's things like, uh, like your friend, you shouldn't brag about yourself. You shouldn't blow your own horn or you should be responsible like yours. You should take care of your stuff. Mm -hmm. There are millions of shoulds that we've all learned and run through our head. That's our self-talk, part of our self-talk, and pretty much tell us how to run our life. The thing about shoulds is that they came from people who had their own stuff. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them, a lot of the shoulds they gave you are good. It's like, take care of your stuff, like you said, or respect people, be kind, all of that. But we also got a lot of shoulds about don't trust certain kinds of people. And women with short hair are not as attractive as women with long hair or whatever. And what is important is to, now that you're an adult, look at your shoulds, first become aware of them. Anytime Mm -hmm. you say should in your head, I say don't should on yourself. Because (laughs) if you say should, it came from somebody else, somewhere else, the culture, the religion, the parents, the friends, whatever. And it's important to look at it and say, does this still fit? I was raised in the 50s when there were very well-defined roles for women. Women were supposedly unfeminine if they went to work. And you certainly didn't have a career. And if you wanted to work or had to work, Mm -hmm. uh, you could be a secretary or a librarian or a nurse. I remember when I went to my high school counselor saying, I'd like to go to college. What colleges do you like? All that. And he said, oh, well, you want to go to college to meet a, a, a man, who can get a good job and support you and all the children you're going to have. And I said, no, I want to go to college (laughs) because I want a career. And he was horrified. And that was the attitude. Those were shoulds. Mm -hmm. And then I had to become aware of them and overcome them look at where they came from and if they still apply to me as an adult now. A lot of them still apply. A lot of them pay your bills, be kind, be respectful, take care of stuff. Those are good shoulds. I like those. I'm going to keep those. But I also have the power to let go of the ones like women can't have a career and be feminine at the same time. Mm-hmm. Do you have any of like that, Shan? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure they're all over the place. 
I mean, I still do that with the, <laughs> the keeping my house clean. And I mean, it's a problem. And one of the things that was hard to learn when I got married was that your shoulds are going to run up against your husband's shoulds. And ideally, you should have talked about this before you got married. <laughs> <laughs> Very important point. Even if you know right. it's going to happen, working with it can be a challenge. Because when you just feel oh, something like that is right, and they feel whatever they've got uh -huh. is right, you got to untangle some knots yes. to get to a happy place where you both can stand. That's called compromise. <laughs> and in order to do that, you both have to be aware of your shoulds and where they came from. And if they're still valid, mm -hmm. it's okay to let go of them. It You don't have to keep a lot of them if you don't want to once you're an adult. And a lot of people don't know that. I have noticed that in letting them go, there's a little bit of grief. There's something yeah. that says, you know, like, this was yeah. my family and this is what they gave me and this is how they taught me to move through the world. And when you finally acknowledge that, yeah, that isn't working right now and letting this mm -hmm. go isn't going to do anything but make the situation better, there's some sadness that mm -hmm. goes along with that. Right. Because it's change. And that's another episode we'll talk about <laughs> change. But but we grieve for change, even positive changes. If you mm -hmm. let go of your need to have a spotless house and just are okay with a relatively clean house for other reasons you need to do that, that's fine, but that's a change. And you're going to grieve for that. Mm -hmm. So that's an excellent point. Mm -hmm. I think the bottom line with all of this, with your self-talk and your inner child and your shoulds, is being aware that all these things came from when you were young and are really powerful in your life today. And once you notice them, and give yourself permission to change them if you want to, or keep them if you want to. Mm -hmm. You're you're in charge of your life now, and that makes all the difference. I love it. Thanks so much, Sandy. Isn't it fun? It's so cool. And our next episode, we're going to talk about personal power. That's what this podcast is all about. So I'm looking forward to talking with you, Shan, and with everybody. Thanks, Sandy. Have a great day. You all have a good day. <laughs>